So one of my favorite basketball players uh, was Tim Duncan. And I realize I'm bringing up a spur here in Mavericks uh, village, whatever we want to call it, territory. And, um, but, you know, Tim Duncan, he won five titles. So I don't think the Mavs are there, but it's okay. You, maybe one day. But Tim Duncan is one of those players that they say, you know, he played the right way. They called him the big fundamental. He always uh, prioritized defense. He made the right pass. He wasn't about himself, but he was about his teammates. He was, he was unselfish. He played um, almost as well as anyone could. That's who he was. And that's where, that's where he excelled, was on the basketball court. He, he wasn't good at everything, of course, um, off the court. So, you know, one of the things he did, he was making a bunch of money, so he hired a money manager. And he was much better at playing basketball than hiring money managers. Because eventually that, that man was arrested for fraud because he had, he had stolen about $20 million from Tim Duncan. And he wouldn't see that money again. And, you know, it's really important who you choose to entrust the things that are valuable to you. Who you choose to entrust those things to is really important. We learned that lesson from the story of Tim Duncan. And you're going to learn that lesson today from the parable that we're going to dive into. Who you choose to entrust the things that are valuable to you is very important. And so if you have your Bible, turn over to Matthew chapter 25. As we get started today, I just want to say welcome. Thank you for being here. My name is Kale. Especially if you're one, if you're new here with us today, we're so glad that you have been here to worship with us. And I know that preachers say this all the time, but I'm glad you're here today. But I really want you to come back next week. Because, see, you're already here today, so that one's done. You cross that off. But next week, you really need to come back. We have a special service next week. It's our Celebrate Recovery Sunday. It's going to be a great Sunday to be together, to, to celebrate that ministry, to learn more about that, and just to be moved. Uh, Melanie, you agree with me, right? Yeah, we, they should, everyone should be back next week. It's one of those Sundays that I look forward to every year. It's one of those Sundays that is going to impact you in a different way. We'll have a, a guest speaker with us next week. It's going to be a great time to be together. Today we are closing our series on the parables. And parables, I've told you a few times this, but I want to just reiterate at the start today why they're so powerful. One, stories are really important. You know this. Stories impact you in a way that pure information just doesn't. Jesus gives us stories to really um, spark your imagination and to teach you something. He also tells stories and tells parables as a way to hide information. It starts with our heart posture. If you are not someone who wants to follow God, who wants to understand, you will miss the point of the parable. He says this over and over again. Though you have ears to hear, you do not understand. And we don't want to be like those people. So we want to start with our heart today in a posture to understand what Jesus is trying to say. And the third is this, is that it drives you, parables drive you to a decision. And I think the parable today does this especially well. You cannot hear the parable passively, but you get to the end of it and you have to make a decision of what kind of person do you want to be? What kind of person have you been? And I think we've seen that played out through the course of this series. I think back where we started with the parable of the sower. And it drives you to the point of, what do I think about our God? How do I see him? And also, what kind of soil, what kind of person 
Am I cultivating myself to be? Is my heart truly open to the kingdom? Am I growing this kingdom seed in me? And so we're going to get to that point again today. So this, this parable you've probably heard before. It's the parable of the talents. And this parable is about money, but as we dive into it today, I want you to remember that this parable is not really about money. Let's start in verse 14. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to one one bag, each according to his ability. Your translation may say uh, the five talents, two talents, or one talent. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. Now, as I said, this is not really about money, but to help you understand what the first audience would hear, know that, your, and your Bible may say this, that one talent is worth about 20 years worth of wages. It's a lot of money. And I know we can oftentimes get to this point where we say, well, you know, I'd really like to be a five-talent person or five bags of gold versus a one. But I think the point Jesus is trying to say is that this is all a lot of money. In fact, I think if this were me, I would be quite nervous. I mean, think about this, if you will. And I know some of you probably do this as your job. But if somebody came up to me after service and said, hey, I got 20 years worth of wages. I'd like you to take care of that. I'm going to say, no, thank you. I will study God's word and I will do the best I can to put, but your money, uh, you take it to somebody else. And so you have um, an understanding of what Jesus is saying here is that this is a lot of money and it takes a lot of trust to leave that in someone's care. So wouldn't you be nervous? Wouldn't you be, you know, have a little bit of a healthy fear if that the master in this case is entrusting this much to you, that you do it with respect you think about it. You, you don't just go out without having thought about, what am I going to do with this much money? But upon hearing this, remember, it's not about money. Because I love how this parable starts. Jesus says, again, it will be like a master who goes on a journey. What do you mean, again, Jesus? Well, to get to this point in the story, you have to back up into chapter 24. In Matthew chapter 24, it says Jesus is exiting the temple mount. And he points at the temple walls and he says, these are going to be thrown down. At the end of the day, when I return, at the end times, all of this will be thrown down. And his apostles, his followers say, well, when will this be? What signs should we look for? And Jesus goes forward and he starts to tell them about what the signs will be. What will be happening when the end of the days is coming, when the end of the age is coming? He'll tell them, all of these signs, you will see them. And then he also tells a story at the beginning of chapter 25, a story. And he says, at that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like. He tells a story about the parable of ten virgins, whether they will be ready for the bridegroom when he returns. And so the question is, is he says, again, it will be like. What are we talking about? Because we're not really talking about money. We're talking about when Jesus will return. We're talking about what the kingdom of heaven will be like and what the kingdom people will be like when he returns. So keep that in mind as we dive into this parable. This is about Jesus' return. This is about the kingdom and what the kingdom is like when the king returns. Verse 19. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. 
The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. So I love this part of the story because whether you started with five bags or two bags, they each get the same response. It's, it is word for word. The master's response here is that, well done, good and faithful servant. This is, what we see here played out is a kingdom principle. That when you start off with a few things, if you are counted trustworthy, then our master will say, now I can trust you with more things. And we see this played out all throughout scripture. And I want to give you a couple of examples, but before we do, I want to make a side, point, side note here. This is not about money. And so if you are reading into this story, this is what I do with my salary and only with my salary, then you're going to miss Jesus's point. Because it is important what you do with your money. If you are financially responsible, if you are honoring God with what he's given you financially, but that's not the, the, that doesn't fully encompass what Jesus is trying to say. I think sometimes we can, in a more modern way, that's what we can imprint on this story, that this is about how we handle our money. And yes, that is very important, but there's, all, there's a lot of other aspects of your life that he, God wants you to entrust to him as well. And so we don't limit it to just that. But we do think about an example like King David or even Moses. Both start off with the lowly job of a shepherd. And they start off as a shepherd, which is not something that the rich and the famous and the powerful did. They start off there, and they're counted worthy of shepherding the sheep. So God says, shepherd my sheep. Both lead Israel and shepherd the people of Israel. They start off small. They're counted as trustworthy. And this is important. This is a kingdom principle of can you be counted as worthy with a few things? I love how the text says this. This is a bunch of money, right? And, says, and the master here says, you've been counted worthy with a few things. And who is this master that five talents is just a few? It's small. That's what we want to think about today is will we be entrusted with more than just a few things? See, this parable is not about success. This parable is about faithfulness. Mother Teresa is almost always a good example to use in a sermon because of the life that she lived and how she answered her calling. But she, if you don't know her story, she moved to India and she felt called to the slums, to the poorest of the poor, specifically in Calcutta. And so she started different homes that started there and spread throughout the country of India. And it started with hospice care. The people who were dying from diseases that no one wanted to have any kind of contact with, she said, bring them to my home. And she cared for them. And she branched out to orphanages and places that cared for those with leprosy. And it didn't matter who it was, but she would bring them in and say, I will care for you. She felt called to those people. And one time a man came to her and he said, how do you keep going? How do you do this? Because there are so many needs and you cannot care for every need. How do you do it? And she, she replied to him, I am not called to be successful. I am called to be faithful. 
Yes, God has called me to this region, to these people, but I'm not called to be successful. I'm called to be faithful. And I think therein lies a hint of what this, this parable is all about. Is it doesn't matter what happens to the talents once you put them to work. Will you be faithful with what God has entrusted to you? Will you be faithful with what God has entrusted to you? You've been given something. Will you be faithful? Verse 24. The man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown, gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid. I went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. You know, this is... um, Again, it's not about money, but, but if it were, haven't there been seasons that if you just got back exactly what you put in, that would have been okay? You know, in a strictly financial sense, this isn't the worst outcome of just, you know, getting back exactly what you put in. You've all been through seasons, I know, that, that your bank account went lower, that your investment lost. And here, it wasn't stolen, it wasn't squandered, but rather it's returned exactly like it was given. It's not gone. It's still there. But watch how Jesus finishes this story. His master replied, You wicked, lazy servant. You knew that I harvest where I haven't sown and gather where I haven't scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers. So when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. Take that bag of gold from him and give it to the one with ten. For whoever has will be given more. They will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So almost every parable Jesus tells has a surprise element in it. And the surprise of this parable is that all three servants have the right attitude. All three servants have the same goal in mind, and that is to please the master. Now, how they go about it is different. But even this third servant here wants to do right by the master. He wants to to do well and to please the master. Two servants immediately, as the text says, go out and they get to work. They put the money to work and they seek the master's reward that way. They win more money. The third goes and and he hides it in a hole in the ground. He doesn't lose the money, but he doesn't put it to work. Then because of that, two share in the master's happiness. They're counted as worthy of even more. The third blames the master for why he doesn't work. Blames and says it's because of who you are why I'm not putting this to work. He doesn't see the truth about the master. He instead lets fear dictate his life. Let's fear dictate how he's going to go about this work. And I think you and I can resonate with having fear, can't we? Now, this is a silly story, but it's a time appropriate. So when I was in third grade, I was about nine years old, and I learned about the Titanic. Now, if you don't know why it's appropriate to talk about the Titanic right now, I invite you to Google it later. It's all on the news. But anyways, so I learned about the Titanic. Uh, it's a big, huge, awesome boat. It's going to go, you know, from here to there, but then it sinks, okay? Very sad as a nine-year-old to hear that story. But then, right after that, my parents came to us and said, hey, your grandma's coming to stay with you for a few days because we're going on a cruise. And I said, I know what happens when people get on a big boat. (laughs) 
I learned about this in school. You cannot go on the cruise because you will sink. And so I remember pleading with them, please don't. I mean, do you even care about your children? Why would you, why would you get on this boat? And of course, my fear was clouding the truth about the situation. One, it had been about 80 to 100 years since the Titanic, right? And two, uh, they were going to the Caribbean. And last I checked, there are not icebergs in the Caribbean. But, but I was, as a nine-year-old, afraid and didn't let the truth win out in that situation. And that's a silly example, but I think you could probably think of examples from your own life, couldn't you? Examples when, when you let fear dictate rather than the truth of the situation. When because of your fear, because you were afraid of something, you didn't act in the way that, that you would have any other time. That you say, I, I, want, I don't want to be that kind of person, but I was afraid That's what the third servant does. He's afraid of his master. And because of that, he doesn't act as he should. He doesn't put the talent to work. And the the sad part about the story is that the third servant knows his master well. The third servant knows exactly who his master is. Look at what he said in verse 24. Master, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown, gathering where you have not scattered seed. Now, the master then agrees, you're right, that is who I am. And I think when we read through this parable, sometimes we can miss that verse. We can just read right over it. But if, if you think about it for a second, what does it mean that the master is the kind of person who harvests where he hasn't sown, who gathers where he did not gather seed? What does that mean for the master here? It means that this master is in control of all things. This master has power and authority, not over over his field, but of all the fields. I can harvest where I didn't sow. I can gather where I didn't scatter seed. This is who our master is. What the servant should have realized because of that truth is that I cannot lose. That no matter what I do, the master is in control. The master is in charge of all of this. And I cannot lose because of that. Our master is not confined to just what is his, to just what you can see, but is in charge of all things. And church, that's the truth about who our God is. That all things are in his power. All things are in his control. And victory is assured. So Jesus, I think, tells this parable, and I think he tells it in this moment for a few reasons. One, we're at the end of Matthew's gospel. He is about to go to the cross. The first thing he wants to, the first reason he tells this parable is to tell them that you have been entrusted with the gifts of the kingdom. I am going. He's been telling them this. I am going, but the kingdom work doesn't stop just because I'm going. You have been entrusted. And church, as his followers, the message is the same to you as well. You have been entrusted with the gifts of the kingdom. He tells you the story for a second reason. That's to remind you that he will return. It says the master goes on a long journey, and sometime later he returned, and so too will our master return. But the, the point of the parable is the third reason he tells us is that you have to do something. You have to put the talent to work. You're not just entrusted with the gifts of the kingdom to hide them, but to put them to work. The point of this parable is decisive action is to take what God has given you and put it to work. That you are a steward, you are a caretaker, you are the manager of what God has given to you. This is something that 
specifically the rabbis would have taught in Jesus' day, is that you own nothing. All things are God's. You have been entrusted with it, and one day you will be accountable to it. Every breath you breathe, every aspect of your life, every energy you have is his. I'm afraid that far too often we become that third servant, though. That we are afraid of what we might lose rather than what we might do in the name of God. We're afraid of, that we might lose something, that we might squander it away, that, we, that people might reject us. And what I think Jesus wants to remind us is that, yes, this is risky to live the way that I've called, but look at the life he lived. I love how C.S. Lewis puts it. He basically says, if you want to play it safe, then wrap your heart carefully around with hobbies, little luxuries, avoid all entanglements, lock it safe in a casket or coffin of your own selfishness. I think that speaks directly to the third servant here, and far too often, you and I, is that rather than think about the, the task that God has put before us, we'll just distract ourselves with life's little luxuries. Is that our focus has changed from the, the big goals, the things that God has put in front of us, and say, you know what, I'm just, I just have to, have to do this one thing first. After I get, get through this hurdle, then I can do that. Our focus has changed on, more on what we might lose rather than what God might do through us. Jesus is telling this parable because he is concerned with your faithfulness. See, he, he's going to leave right after this. He's going to go to the cross. He will return, but then he will leave the kingdom entrusted to these few followers. But it's not for you to hide. It's for you to work, for you to do something. So the gospel here, the parable here is, warns us that just doing, not doing wrong isn't enough. Now, as a church, we talk a lot about living a morally good life, and we should. That is, when you take on the name of Jesus, you should be a righteous person. You should, this holiness should grow in you, but it's not enough to stop at just doing, not doing wrong. And far too often, I think that's, that's where we land, isn't it? That, that we take the kingdom gifts that have been entrusted to us, we take the talent, so to speak, and we say, well, I'm not going to lose it. I'm not going to let anyone steal it. I'm just going to hide it. And God, through this parable, Jesus is reminding us that that's, that's not enough. You've got to put it to work. Yes, you should be a good person, but that's not where it stops. See, this message is one of decisive action, but it's born out of a correct understanding of who our God is. Our God is, is fully in control here. Our God has gained the ultimate victory for you and for me. You have nothing to lose, church. And that reality has been in place since before you were born. As soon as that tomb was found empty, victory was ours. There is no other, there is no possibility of losing because Jesus has gained your victory. As we close today, I want to remind you, though, this is not just about the American dream. This is not just about using your money wisely, though you should use your money wisely. This is about what are you going to do with all that God has given you? What are you going to do with the time he's given you here on earth? With the people that he's put around you, entrusted them to your care? See, God is not going to stop until all people know him. Until he gets to be in a relationship with all people. And he's doing that through you. Because see, you know the truth. You have been entrusted with the gifts of the kingdom and he wants to use you 
so that others, he can welcome others into this. He wants all people to be part of this story. I love how 2 Corinthians 5 reads specifically out of the message. Eugene Peterson writes, God has given us the task of telling everyone what he is doing. We are Christ's representatives. God used us to persuade men and women to drop their differences and enter into God's work of making all things right. We are speaking for Christ himself now. Become friends with God. He's already friends with you. Before you were, before you decided to say yes to God, he was already saying yes to you. He was already lovingly welcoming you into his family. That's, who, that's what he wants. And church, it doesn't end just here. It's what he wants for all people. I think this parable is really good at bringing us to this decision point. At bringing us to the point where we can look ourselves in the mirror and go, am I holding anything back from God? Am I playing it safe? I mean, far too often I think we, we speak in a, as if we have wisdom. Well, I'm just playing the long game, you know. I'm just going to let things play out over the course of time. And I think God is saying, enough is enough. Victory is ours. Go put the talent to work. And church, I think that's the message for us today. Is that we are called by him to not let things just stay right here, but to go take it out into the world and say, come meet the man who changed everything about my life. Come meet the man that was dead but was alive three days later. The one that assures our victory for all time. Because at the end of our days, we want to, to be welcomed by him and for him to say, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been entrusted with the gifts of the kingdom. And the question is, what will you do with them? Will you go put them to work or you hide it in a hole? That's the decision for you today. As we close, our shepherds and their wives will be around the room. And as you've heard earlier, we are a praying church I'm not saying that it's easy to, to go and risk it all for Jesus, but we do so because we know that victory is his. There is nothing short of even death that we should be afraid of because of what God has done in our life. But you don't walk that path alone. We join you as a church family in prayer. The other aspect of why we pray together is so we can be honest with one another about where we've been, how we've held back from God, how we haven't been willing to risk all things from him for him. I think now is the time to be honest with ourselves about the reality of who we've been and who we want to be going forward. And so as we close today, I want to invite you to stand and join me in prayer as we close today. Father, I am so thankful for this church family, this family that you bring together, God. Father, our hope is week in and week out that we would be encouraged and challenged in your name, reminded about what you've done in our life, but God, it's all for naught if it stops at these doors. Father, we want our life to be a message of what you've done in our life. God, we want to every breath that we breathe be a praise unto you. Father, our hope is that people would come to know your glory through our life. That is our hope and our prayer that we would be counted as trustworthy. And that someday you would be able to look at us and say, well done, good and faithful servant. We do all of this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.